we learn a lot of little uh, proverbs as we grow up, uh, such that, uh, you know, if I say, you can't teach an old dog, we all know what the blank is. Uh, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Uh, but the beautiful thing about kids is that you put those same famous words in a blank before a first grader, and there's no telling what they will put in the blank. Uh, to test this theory, uh, some years ago, I did ask our first and second, Sunday, uh, second grade Sunday school teachers uh, here at BlackRock to give our kids a little fun quiz in uh, Sunday school. And uh, at first, our kids thought that since it was church and Sunday school, uh, they had to give churchy answers. And so just about all of them answered, you can't teach an old dog about Jesus, which uh, we told them that it's okay, you know, it's okay, you don't have to have, fill in all these uh, little blanks with uh, God or Jesus. Uh, and then we got some replies that were kind of funny, and I got this idea from uh, some public school teachers who gave a list of these unfinished proverbs to their first grade students. And uh, let me give you some of the results that uh, they got from the kids, along with a few from our Sunday school classes uh, sprinkled in. Uh, first, we'll complete the sentence uh, the way we were taught, and then I'll give the answers that the kids supplied. Uh, at, let's start, start with the first one. It is, uh, if at first you don't succeed, try, and the blank is, try again. Uh, but one kid answered, if at first you don't succeed, try some new batteries. Good idea. Uh, next one is, if I say, uh, where there's smoke, there's fire. Uh, but one kid uh, answered, where there's smoke, there's my sister cooking again. <laughs> Uh, next one is, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Uh, but the kid uh, suggested, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a blister, and then it gets worse. Uh, here, here's another one. Uh, if I say a penny saved is a penny earned, uh, one kid said a penny saved is not very much. Keep, keep working at that. Uh, and here's the final one. Uh, laugh and the world laughs with you. Cry and you cry alone. Uh, that's what we would say. But one kid said, uh, laugh and the world laughs with you. Cry and your parents say, shut up. <laughs> All right. When kids uh, are given an opportunity to just kind of fill in the blank, it's really refreshing to see their honesty, including uh, their uh, their parenting influence, uh, and it's really, it's really kind of delightful. Now, let me give you uh, the opportunity to be honest, to be really honest. I'll give you one more famous line and see if you can be honest about how you would really fill in the blank. Here's the famous line. It goes like, it is more blessed to blank than to blank. And the idea here is not to give the correct answer. It is to give what is your real heart honest answer? And if I'm honest, I would have to say that, you know, my temptation is to say it is more blessed to get served than to be a servant. It is more blessed to get first place than to come in second. Uh, it's more blessed to get things than give things. It's uh, more blessed to get joy than bring it to other people. If I'm honest, 
I actually believe in my heart just the opposite of this famous line that comes from Jesus as quoted by the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, where Jesus says, it is more blessed to give than receive. When Jesus says it is more blessed to give than receive, Jesus is not just talking pretty. He is dead serious. And this is what I'd like us to study today. I'd like us to take a serious look at uh, what Jesus says about how to get blessed in life because uh, over and over, Jesus teaches the same thing in Scripture. Jesus teaches that I get blessed by giving. But not only does Jesus teach that I get blessed by giving, Jesus teaches me how. Jesus teaches me how God blesses me through giving, starting with the first truth that God blesses me by saving me from the getting lifestyle. Jesus knows people. Jesus knows me. Jesus knows your heart. Jesus knows that deep down, I believe that the getting lifestyle is the way to be blessed in this world. Deep down, I think that blessing is, in my relationships, getting people to like me, getting people to approve of me, getting people to praise me. But, but Jesus teaches that this getting lifestyle does not lead to blessing in my relationships. It leads to bondage. Seeking people praise actually makes me a prisoner of public opinion and traps me on this treadmill of insecurity where I become so enslaved to people praise that just one disappointed look in someone's face can spin me out into, into some place where I'm just, I lose my peace and my confidence and my joy in life. But when I follow Jesus' teaching that I get blessed by giving, I am set free from this kind of bondage. I'm blessed with a lifestyle of giving love instead of trying to get it, giving encouragement and giving affirmation to others instead of trying to get it for myself. Let me tell you about one of the most fun things that I ever did. Uh, when I was getting my master's degree in the Boston area, I learned that my school had a cooperative relationship with Harvard. And this relationship meant that I could enroll in any Harvard course and get audit credit just by participating on a pass-fail basis, which meant that I could attend any Harvard class and just enjoy it with virtually no pressure at all. And so I did. And I became the most amazing Harvard student in my Harvard class. The other Harvard students were so obsessed with pandering and trying to get the approval of the professor. But not me. I was fearless. I was, you know, free to kind of academically challenge the professor and say, whoa, 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 you know, I really don't understand this. And, uh, uh, and in the midst of all this, my Harvard, fellow Harvard students would look at me with something like awe at my courage. And the other Harvard students were so embroiled in competition with each other. 
uh, that secretly they all wished that each other would fail. Uh, but I was different, and everybody knew it. If a person missed class and needed class notes, they knew who to go to. They knew that I was the only one in the class who would just go the extra mile and give them whatever help they needed. I was able to live out that teaching where Jesus says, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. I could be generous like this. And the reason that I could be different uh, from all the other Harvard students, not because I was really special, it was because I was operating under a system that was different than all my fellow Harvard students. And you may be wondering whether I ever revealed to my fellow Harvard students that I was operating on an audit, pass, fail system. No, no. They figured that I was this genius, and that was fine with me. And I think they're probably still talking about me to this day. And you will be blessed. You will be blessed too. Like, you look like a genius in this world if you just choose to operate according to Jesus' giving system instead of the typical getting system of everyone else. If you operate under Jesus' giving system, it is such a fun way to live. Under Jesus' giving system, you can have the joy of the audit student of giving to people instead of competing with them, of encouraging people instead of pandering to them, of loving people instead of trying to get them to love you. Jesus says it is more blessed to give than receive. But how? How does God bless me through giving? Well, God blesses me by saving me from the the craziness of this getting lifestyle by encouraging me into this giving lifestyle, which I've just applied to personal relationships. But this same giving system of Jesus also applies to my relationship with money and material things. For starters, Jesus says that money and material things are too weak, too fragile, and too temporary to supply me with a kind of blessing that really lasts that I'm looking for in life. As in Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Because this is, this, they're so temporary. Moths destroy this stuff. Rust destroys it. Thieves break in and steal. Jesus, let me get this straight. Jesus never says that money is bad or that possessing things is evil in some way. No, Jesus just says that when it comes to a personal blessing strategy in life, getting stuff does not work. And for decades now, social scientists have assembled support, impressive amount of support for this truth of Jesus, that getting things does not bring the lasting increase in personal joy that we all assume it will. For instance, real income in America has increased 16% in the last 30 years. 
Uh, but the percentage of people who put themselves in the survey category of happy in America has dropped a percentage point each one of those 30 years. And now only two out of 10 Americans would put themselves in the survey category of happy. And surveys reveal that people of every income level believe they do not have enough money to be happy, but more money would make them truly happy. And surveys show that on average, people who get $30,000 a year uh, believe that they would be happy if they could have $100,000 a year. But what about those people who make actually $100,000 a year? Are they happy people? No. Surveys show that those people who make $100,000 a year believe that they would be happy if they made $250,000 a year, and so on, and so on, so that at every income level, people always think that happiness is at the next level, which means that everyone at every income level thinks that they can be happy at the next level, and they are always wrong. Jesus says that blessing is looking for a a blessing that comes from a giving lifestyle and not a getting less lifestyle. So how does God bless the giver? Well, first, he saves me from the fruitlessness of the getting lifestyle. The second way that God blesses uh, my giving is by showering me with reward, his reward. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 again, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And then Jesus says four chapters later, if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little children because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. And if you know the Gospels, you know that this is just a sampling. I could go on and on and on with all the ways that Jesus combines giving with reward directly from God. Jesus teaches that God promises reward for givers. Jesus doesn't specify the exact nature of these rewards. He just promises that God always does it. Jesus doesn't specify whether the reward comes in this life or the next life. Why? Because it's both. Jesus doesn't specify whether the reward is spiritual or emotional or material or financial because it can be all those things. God is infinite, which means that he has infinite ways that he can reward his people. Although Jesus does not give details, he does give clues. He does give clues about how God rewards givers. Jesus' favorite parable, if it's judged by how often he told a parable, his favorite parable involved a king who gives coins to three servants, and then tells them to go invest those coins on his behalf. When the king comes back, he rewards two of those three servants because two were faithful in doing with those coins what he told them to do, invest them. What did he do? How did he reward those two faithful stewards? By giving them more coins so that they could give more. Through this parable, Jesus indicates that God loves giving to givers. 
Jesus indicates that once I establish myself as a faithful steward who gets it, that I'm given resources to invest with God in mind, God then rewards my giving by giving me more opportunities to give. And today, I could parade up here scores of people who have learned this very principle by tithing here at Black Rock. Uh, over and over, I hear people saying the same thing. They come from all different income levels, and they say the same thing. As a Christ follower, I always knew that in Scripture, God called me as a follower of Jesus to give a portion of my income to God's work in the church, but I never knew how exciting it would be to watch the creative ways that God both meets my needs and then increases my ability to give even more, which is, of course, what the Apostle Paul promises in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. What a powerful promise of God to his givers. And don't make the mistake of thinking that this promise is just about financial giving. Look at the language. Paul says over and over, it's for every good work, every way, on every occasion. As I'm generous with my time in my relationships, as I'm generous with my talents in serving others, as I'm generous with the coins of resource that God gives me, and as I'm faithful with that, God then gives me more coins of more resource and rewards me so that I can give more and more. So how does God bless the giver? First, God saves me from the getting lifestyle that is so fruitless. Second, God showers me with his reward. And then third, God sends me on a mission. A big reason why it is more blessed to give than receive is because the giving lifestyle is so much more exciting and meaningful than just being a selfish sponge. Those who devote themselves to just soaking up and taking in end up with lives that are so sponge small and so lacking in purpose and adventure. Now, social scientist uh, Dr. David Myers uh, states this. Repeated research, quote, confirms that the people with the highest happiness levels are dedicated to serving and helping other people, while those with the lowest happiness levels are self-preoccupied, self-absorbed, and least engaged in serving other people, end quote. Now, there was an unusual study of 72 women with MS, multiple sclerosis. And uh, five of those sick women were randomly chosen and uh, told that in the study, they were being given the responsibility to encourage and comfort the other 67 women. So uh, then three years later, they did a little uh, survey and a, a kind of a sense of uh, both the health and well-being of the 72 women. What did they find out? They found out that three years later, those five giving women were seven times healthier and happier 
than the 67 women that they served. How does God bless the giver? God blesses the giver with the immense benefits that come with focusing on others instead of focusing on myself. Paradoxically, the best thing I can do to bless myself is to live with a mission of blessing and serving other people. You know, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sends out his 12 disciples. And what does Jesus tell them to do? He says, I'm sending you on a mission uh, to be God-empowered givers. So go forth and give to people. Give encouragement. Give help. Give healing. Give hope. Give life. Give. And then Jesus reminds them of this mission by telling them who, again, they are and what they are to do. When Jesus says in Matthew 10, freely you have received, now freely give. God calls you to be a giver in this church, not just a taker, which means that you should be on a mission as part of this body, if this is your body of, of believers that you belong to, you should be on a mission to be generous not only with your resources, but with your time and serving and dedicating yourself to serve among our kids and our students and newcomers. Not just talk about it, but really do it. And when you follow Jesus, he will fill you so that you are able to fulfill this mission of being a giver, and you will find, according to Jesus' promise, that you will be blessed in the process. Some years ago, I was in an uh, impoverished city in an impoverished nation, and I went there to help and to serve, and of course, in the process, uh, I get to meet all these wonderful people, and I'm encouraged in the process. This was not a modern city. This was uh, more of a town of, of narrow alleyways uh, with uh, kind of a shanty town with uh, shacks lining the alleyways, uh, holding poor and sometimes starving people. And uh, down these uh, alleyways would uh, sometimes come merchants who were uh, pushing carts with uh, different vegetables or other things on the carts. And one day, uh, I did something unusual. And when I tell you what I did, uh, don't be impressed with me. I just did something that I learned uh, from watching someone else. I was standing in the alleyway, and I saw this merchant approaching who was uh, selling a cartload of bread. And through a translator, uh, I asked the man a little about himself. And this poor baker said that he got up at 4 a.m. every morning and uh, cooked bread one at a time in a little clay oven uh, and then put them in the cart so hopefully he could sell some of this bread to support his five children for another day. And uh, he looked sad and said that sometimes uh, he doesn't have any sales, and uh, that makes life really hard. And that's when I said, well, I got good news, because uh, I'd like to buy your bread. And he said, how much? I said, I'd like to take it all. Uh, how much would it cost if I bought the whole cart of bread? And then he told me, and you'd be surprised how little it cost in our currency to buy this whole cart of bread. And the poor baker was, was just delighted when I gave him this money. And then he got out a big bag so that he could stuff the bread in the, in the bag uh, for my purchase. And I said, hey, don't bag it. Instead, uh, would you do this uh, for me? Would you just uh, take this bread 
and go to your hungriest neighbors. Go to your hungriest friends and just give them this bread. And as soon as he understood what I was saying, a big smile came over his face. And although I, I didn't follow him, you know, like shoulder to shoulder, I, and I kind of stood at a distance, uh, and I didn't follow him the whole time, but I was able to watch from a distance as this poor baker was on a mission of giving. And he had a spring in his step, and he had a sing-song in his voice. As he was able to go to person after person and watch person after person just receive this bread for free and be surprised and just clap and, and just be so thankful and hug him with, uh, with joy. And I mentioned that I, I learned this by watching someone else. That someone is Jesus. Because you know what? Jesus did the same thing for me on a much higher and grander level. Jesus bought me out. Uh, Jesus paid the price so that I could be free from the getting lifestyle. And I could just be about giving what Jesus gave me. And so Jesus sends me out. He sends you out with this call. As you have freely received, now freely give. That's my mission as a follower of Jesus. That's your mission if you follow him too. To live out this generous lifestyle and live the joyful life where it is truly more blessed to give than receive. 